This is the Everyday Christian Podcast, coming to you from the Beacon Church of Christ in West Monroe, Louisiana. Here's your host, Chase Green. Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Everyday Christian Podcast, where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about rightly dividing the word of truth. Hopefully you remember last time we talked about the importance of studying the Word so that we can, number one, know the things that we're being taught and whether or not those are so, Acts 17, verse 11. Number two, so that we can earnestly contend for the faith, Jude, verse 3. And number three, so that we can always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason for the hope that is in us, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. I want to turn your attention to 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. We talked about this verse last time, and I want to emphasize the latter part of this verse today. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, and this is the part I want to emphasize today, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you look at an American Standard Version, you'll see the words handling aright the word of truth. In other words, the Bible has to be handled correctly. It has to be handled carefully. Why? Because if we're not handling it correctly and carefully, then we could lead to grave error. It's a very serious thing. If you look at the Greek in this passage, you'll see that it actually has the idea of making a straight cut. I'm not one that has done much woodworking in my life at all, but if you are to think about woodworking, it's very important that you do what? That you make a straight cut. If you don't make a straight cut, you, you may have designed this beautiful piece of woodworking and uh, you get, to, get down to the very last bit and you, you don't make a straight cut and you ruin the whole thing. Well, that shows you just how serious it would be in woodworking. But when it comes to the Bible, making a straight cut Handling it properly will either make us or break us from a spiritual standpoint. Well, I want us to discuss the various divisions of the Bible, and I want to start with the two major divisions of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament contains 39 books. Now, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are known as the Pentateuch the Pentateuch. And in these five books, you'll learn about Adam and Eve and the creation of the world. You'll learn about sin entering into the picture, and you'll learn about key figures like Adam and Eve, of course, and Cain and Abel and Noah and Abraham and his sons and descendants, and ultimately the Israelites coming through them. And then we move on to Exodus, and we see Moses being a prominent figure in that book. And of course, he led the Israelites out of the Egyptian slavery. And then we find the wilderness wandering. In the book of Leviticus, we find a lot of very detailed laws that Moses was giving. And in uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, we, we find a, a wilderness wandering and, and ultimately heading towards the land of Canaan. And we enter there. And around that time, we find Moses dying in the wilderness. He gets to see the land of Canaan, but he doesn't get to go in because of sin that was in his life. 
And then Joshua comes to the picture. And so the book of Joshua, all the way through the book of Esther, we have the history of the Jewish people. Now, Joshua, of course, being the prominent leader after Moses. Well, when Joshua had died and all of Joshua, Joshua's associates had died, his fellow leaders, the, the Bible says in the book of Judges that there were judges needed because people were beginning to do everything that was right in their own eyes. And so people were, were going into sin. And judges would come along and deliver the people from the consequences of their sin. And for a while they would repent and, and get their act together again. And then they'd go back into sin and the Philistines and, and other peoples would come along and and oppress God's people. And, and then the judge would come along again and, and save the day. So we have the book of Judges and we continue in the history of the Israelites and uh, we, we get into some of the other books and we discuss some of the kings after the judges, Saul being the first one and, and everybody loved Saul except, well, well, God loved him, but God didn't approve of him and, and Saul was not a very good king. So we have Saul, but then we have David. David was a good king. He, he definitely made mistakes, of course, but, but he was a man after God's own heart. And then we have David's son, Solomon. And Solomon, he, he was good for a while, but unfortunately he had a lot of wives and a lot of wives and concubines that brought him away from the Lord for much of his life. And that was very sad. Solomon, you know, wrote the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and much wisdom contained therein. Unfortunately, he didn't always follow what he knew to be true. The wisest man on earth at that time, Solomon was, and yet he didn't always follow the things that he knew to be true. Well, after Solomon comes along, we have, after his death, his son Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was not a good king, and he decided that he was going to increase the burdens of the people. He had talked to the older people and, and asked them what their advice was, and they said, no, you need to give the people rest. But then he talked to the younger people, and the younger people convinced him, no, increase their burdens. Let's, let's work them to death, essentially. And that resulted in a big, major split in the kingdom. And so you had the kingdom of Israel still under his control in the north, also known as Samaria. And then you had some other tribes breaking off from Israel and forming the kingdom of Judah to the south. Well, history progresses and the people get further and further into sin. In the north, there were no good kings at all. They were all evil in Samaria, Israel. And so that that kingdom end, ends up falling. In the south, you had a few good kings, but you had a lot of evil kings as well. That kingdom would eventually fall as well, but they last longer than the northern kingdom. In about 712 BC, the Assyrians come and they wipe out the northern kingdom, take them into captivity in Assyria. Well, in 586 BC, the Babylonians come and they wipe out the southern kingdom of Judah and take them into captivity. So that's the books of history in a very basic nutshell. And then we come to the book of Job. We have the book of Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs it's sometimes called. And this would be wisdom literature or poetic literature. And these books were written in Hebrew parallelism 
and uh, other poetic language, and their books of, of beauty and praise and devotion and, and wisdom, and certainly some wonderful, very important reading that you can find in the books of wisdom literature. Well, then we have the rest of the books of the Old Testament, and the rest of the books of the Old Testament, beginning in Isaiah, are what we call the prophets. Now, there are two distinctions between the prophets, and those distinctions are the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, that's just a name that people came up with to distinguish between the larger books and the smaller books. That's all that means. They're all equally authoritative. They're all very important. The only reason we call them major prophets or minor prophets, again, is because of the size of the books. The major prophets are Isaiah through Daniel, and then the minor prophets are Hosea through Malachi. Well, the timeline then of the Old Testament would be from the creation back in Genesis several thousand years ago, and notice thousands of years ago, not millions or billions as the evolutionists want to claim, to approximately 400 or so B.C., and that would be around the time of Malachi. And then we have a period of silence leading up to the time of Christ called the Intertestament Period. And we're not going to have time to go into that period of history today. So that is the Old Testament in just a few minutes describing it. What about the New Testament? The New Testament consists of 27 books, and of course, we begin with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the gospel accounts, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these chronicle the life of Christ and his teachings and his apostles, and then his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel to all the nations. That's the gospel accounts, Matthew through John. Then we have the book of Acts. Acts is an important book that details the early history of the apostles and the early church. And it shows you the church established there in Acts chapter 2. It shows you people being converted and added to the church. Acts chapter 2 and in many other places in the book of Acts as well. And then we come to what's known as the epistles. Romans, the, the book of Romans, all the way to almost the end, at Jude, these are epistles. Now, epistle just means a letter. These are doctrinal letters. Uh, Paul wrote a lot of them, and there are a few others as well who wrote them. And like I said, these are letters written to various congregations and also occasionally individuals written to them, and we can gain much doctrinal information from these. And then finally, in the New Testament, we have the book of Revelation. And this is a very interesting book, and it's a difficult book. It's not the easiest book in the Bible to understand by any means. It's what we call apocalyptic literature. And that basically just means that there's a lot of signs and symbols and figurative language in it, and that can make it pretty tricky to understand the meaning. But just the very basic big picture of the book of Revelation, just know this, the triumph of God and his church and, and good is going to win over evil. And so if we read through Revelation understanding that, then we can understand the big picture 
Okay, so that is a basic introduction to the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to ask you this. If you had to guess, which one do you think that we are under today? The Old Testament or the New Testament? If you guess the New Testament, then you'd be right. Well, let's go ahead and with the time that we have remaining, let's prove that we are under the New Testament today. In John chapter 1, verse number 17, we see a distinction between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. And this distinction is made repeatedly in the New Testament. We won't go through all the verses that deal with this, but we'll go through several. John 1 verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, and most of the time when you read these words together, the law, it's usually referring to the law of Moses. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So that is showing us that there is a distinction between the law of Moses and this time period uh, of grace and truth, of, of uh, the law of Christ. There's a distinction there. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 actually uses the term law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When I look at that passage, I like to make this important point. If we are doing everything that we can to keep the things that God has given us in the New Testament and, and living our lives according to that pattern and living righteously and, and worshiping God uh, the way that he requires us to worship him and giving him all the praise and devotion, if we're doing all those things but we forget to bear one another's burdens, guess what? We're not fulfilling the law of Christ. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. We've got to make sure that we're doing that. Well, again, we've got a distinction between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. And in Romans 6, verse 14, we read, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Go ahead and read that whole chapter if you get a chance. And it's talking about grace, and grace does not give us a, a license to keep on living in sin, verses 1 and following. And then it talks about being baptized into Christ. And when we do that, we're putting to death the old man of sin and buried with him in baptism. We rise up to walk in newness of life and we are to be the servants of righteousness, not the servants of sin any longer. And so in verse 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, some people will trip up there and they say, We're not under any law whatsoever. But I've just shown you in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that there's something called the law of Christ. We are under a law. We're not under the law of Moses. And so we need to make sure we understand that. We're not under the law, the law of Moses, but under grace or the law of grace. So we can't just go do whatever we want. We have to actually obey what, what God tells us in, in his word. And specifically, we're proving right now that we're under the new Testament today. That is what we are amenable to today. So we're under the law of Christ, also called the law of liberty in the book of James. And then I also want us to notice Colossians 2 verse 14. This passage, again, similar context as Romans chapter 6. If you look at the verses previous talking about being buried with Christ in baptism, 
Colossians 2 verse 14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us, contrary to us, Jesus took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. He nailed that Old Testament. And in sin, uh, if if we've obeyed the gospel, he, he nails sins to the cross. Well, I also want us to consider the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews makes this abundantly clear. The reason for the writing of the book of Hebrews was because there were these men, we call them the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were coming along and say, hey, saying, hey, you need to keep the law of Moses, circumcision and feast days and Sabbath days and the Levitical food laws and all of these things. You better keep these or else, or else you won't be a faithful Christian. Well, the Bible says in several places that that was false doctrine. And the book of Hebrews is dealing with that. And so it shows us very clearly that we are under a new covenant and a better covenant. Look at Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 17. That passage says, And for this cause he is the mediator, Jesus Christ, the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, so the First Testament highlighting sin, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. If you have a relative who leaves you some money in his last will and testament, can you go get that money before the, the testator died? Well, of course not. You don't receive that until well after they have died. There's lots of court proceedings and paperwork and, and whatnot that goes into that. So you receive it after the death of the testator. Well, the New Testament came into being after the death of the testator, Jesus Christ. Also look at Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verse 6 and 7. Hebrews 8, verses 6 and 7. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. The New Testament, the new covenant, the law of Christ, the law of liberty, the law of grace and truth, it's better than that old law, the law of Moses. The old law could convict of sin, but the new law is what makes grace possible. It's what makes salvation possible. And so it's better. It's infinitely better. That doesn't mean that the old law was unimportant. It was. But the new law is what makes salvation possible through Christ. And then he goes on and quotes Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one. Talks about a new covenant that was promised. And Jesus, again, brought this new covenant. Well, look at verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 8. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. New covenant, New Testament, well, the first is old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. 
And indeed it did. It vanished away. The Old Testament vanished away. It was nailed to the cross. Colossians 2, verse 14. There's one other passage that really does a, a great job of explaining this, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Really, if you read that whole chapter, it's some somewhat difficult language there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but it's very important. And basically, Paul there is hearkening back to when Moses received the Ten Commandments, and his face shone really bright, and the Israelites couldn't look on him because it was so bright, and they had to put a veil over his face. Well, it talks about this Old Testament being the ministration of death. Well, the ministration of death was, uh, it, it served the purpose of highlighting sin and how serious it is. But then it talks about the ministration of the Spirit. And it talks about how the ministration of the Spirit is more glorious than the ministration of death. And it's dealing with the fact that, again, we are under a better covenant today, the new covenant. And it's just a wonderful passage that points out very clearly that we're no longer under the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And and actually, verse 14, it says that it's done away. Verse 14 says that the veil of that old covenant is done away in Christ. So again, we are under the New Testament. And speaking of the New Testament, I want you to think about the words in red. You know what I'm talking about, the words of Christ. John chapter 5 Verse 24 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Who? He that heareth my word, Jesus says. In John 8, verse 31 and 32, we read, Then said Jesus to those Jews, which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, which we talked about in a previous episode. And again, John seventeen seventeen says, Thy word is truth. And then we have John 12, verse 48. Jesus here says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Well, you don't meet a whole lot of people who profess to be Christians who would deny this. Of course, we believe the words in red. They're the words of Jesus Christ, right? But what about people who say this? Well, I only follow the words in red. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I've heard that said a few times. Well, I only follow the words in red, the, the words that Jesus said. Well, those people who are saying that, they have a fundamental misunderstanding of the New Testament. Let me prove that to you. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, John 14, verse 26, Jesus is making this promise to his apostles. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you, the apostles, all things and bring all things to your remembrance 
whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit was going to give everything that Jesus said into the remembrance of the apostles. Do you see where I'm going with this? John 16 verse 13 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you, the apostles, into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the apostles were going to be guided into all truth. Question. All these apostles who lived, are they still living today? Well, no, they they died in the first century. Well, if Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was going to deliver all truth to those apostles, if he was going to bring all the things that Jesus taught them into their remembrance, then when did that take place? Well, it took place in the first century when the apostles were living, didn't it? Look at Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them, notice this, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, he's giving this great commission first to the apostles. And so he's speaking to them, and he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I, Jesus Christ, have commanded to you, the apostles. Jesus gave his authority to the apostles to go and and deliver the gospel and, and set up his church and teach the church to do everything that Jesus wanted them to do. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you, all the way even unto the end of the world. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 2 comes along, and we have the church established. Acts 2, in verse 42, after that church was established, about 3,000 souls added to the church that day. We read this. And they continued steadfastly, Christians, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so Christians were doing what? They were following what the apostles were teaching. Well, we can do that today, can't we? Yes, we can, because we have their word written in the New Testament. We've got the Gospels. We've got the words of Christ in red, sure. But we also got the words of the apostles as well. We've got to obey all of it. Well, finally, one more passage, Jude 1, verse 3. We talked about this last time, but let me highlight something else. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. When was the faith delivered to the saints? It was in the lifetime of the apostles, in the first century. And so we have all religious truth that we need. Second Peter 1, 3, all things pertaining to life and godliness we talked about. We have it. And the apostles wrote it down for us. We have it in our New Testament today. Well, there you have it. We've talked about the Old Testament, and certainly it's so important. We don't want to uh, belittle it by any means. 
Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For the things which were written aforetime, talking about that Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So the Old Testament was written for a purpose. We need it still today for our learning, for examples that we, we find there, but what are we amenable to today? We're amenable to the New Testament because that's the time that we're living in. We're, we're living after the time of Christ. We are living in the New Testament, so that's what we're actually under today. I want to thank you for joining me for this podcast again, episode four, and we're moving right along with these episodes. And uh, I realized the, 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 le- the lesson was a little bit longer today than usual, but I wanted to cover a lot to make sure that we cover this in depth, this important topic about rightly dividing the word of truth. If you would, please help us out by liking our page on Facebook. You can share the page. You can share our post. You can follow the page and and follow our post as well. And you can message me if you'd like. And I'd love to, to talk with you. And if I can help you in any way, if you'd like to study the Bible, if you want to ask a question, I'd be glad to answer any question that I can. And If I don't know the answer, then I'll study it and I'll ask around and see if I can get you an answer because I've got to study to show myself approved as well. And and anybody who says otherwise, well, you probably don't want to listen to them because uh, they've got an ego problem and we've all got to study to show ourselves approved. Well, I want to conclude today by talking about, very briefly, our lesson for next podcast, next episode. And that's going to be discouragement. You know, we all get discouraged. And I read about people in the Bible who are discouraged. And what's really difficult about being discouraged is sometimes you just get so down in the dumps that you just feel like you you just want to shut down. And if we're not careful, shutting down emotionally and, and finding ourselves in a situation where we don't want to reach out, we don't want to uh, ask for help, what does that lead to? Well, it usually leads to unfaithfulness. We don't want to do that. We want to be faithful. And so when discouragement does come our way, and it is inevitable, it will come our way, we want to talk about how we can be encouraged again, how we can lean on one another as Christians to help each other through uh, being everyday Christians. You've been listening to the Everyday Christian Podcast with Chase Green. As always, remember, God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Stand firm in your resolve to be an everyday Christian.